0: Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Is the Bible really inspired by God? Really? I mean, is that what Christians believe? That, that the God of the universe? takes human beings like St. Paul or St. Matthew and uses them as his instruments to to write what he wants written in sacred scripture? Is he really the author of the Bible? Is that what Catholics believe? I mean, that kind of sounds like a fairy tale, you know, like some divine being up there and he's going to, you know, whisper into the ear of St. Luke, hey, write this about the Annunciation to Mary. And then Luke writes it down faithfully. Is that what Christians mean when they say the Bible's inspired by God? I want to clarify this for you. I want you to understand what the Catholic Church actually teaches about sacred scripture, because scripture is sacred because it is God's word in the words of men. It is truly inspired by God. In fact, that word inspiration uh, it comes from the Greek word theonustos, which means God breathed. God breathed, the idea is that God breathed his divine word into the, the, the human writer who writes down the in, in the human way. So it's God breathing forth his divine word in human words. Now, I want to be clear, though, from a Catholic perspective, uh, the, the Catholics believe that the human writers still are truly writers. They're true co-authors in sacred scripture. They're the ones who use their own freedom. They use their own creativity, their own writing style. They're thinking about their particular audience, what message they want to write to that audience. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul... These writers are free to write whatever they want to write. But here's the beauty of what Vatican II taught and the Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches, is that in the midst of that freedom, what the human writers wanted to write is exactly what God wanted written and no more. So when we encounter the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, when we encounter the letters of St. Paul, when we encounter uh, the praises and thanksgiving prayers that you find in the book of Psalms, we're encountering not just mere human words, but the words of God in the words of men reaching through time god is speaking through those human words to touch us with with his divine word to encourage us to admonish us to challenge us to 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 motivate us he he is the god of the universe is thinking about us when he has the human writers write sacred scripture for us. Uh, he was thinking of you and me here in the year 2019 and what words we may need to hear to encourage us in our walk with him today. So these are eternal words written in time, reaching through the centuries to touch us today in the words of men. But I want to just ask a question. Can God really do that? Can God really work this way? I mean, isn't God so big? Uh, you know, does he Does he really... Uh, come stoop down and and work with human instruments? Does it make sense to really believe that God is involved in this world and inspires written uh, human writers? Does it really make sense? That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk a little bit more about inspiration, why we can have confidence that it makes sense actually that if there is a God, he would communicate to us. He would get involved in this world and show us his plan. That's what we're going to look at in today's episode. But before we get started, I just want to thank the listeners for their various questions that they send to me. And you can always send your questions or comments on the podcast to me at info. Dot at gmail.com. That's info.edwardsree at gmail.com. You can find me on my website, edwardsree.com or on social media as well. Uh, but I, I've gotten some feedback on the podcast we did last week on the rosary. Here's something from Julie. Julie says, love your podcasts. I struggle with the rosary. Your teaching on dealing with distractions was a great encouragement. So I'm grateful to know that uh, I know many of us, we struggle with the rosary and to know that uh, some of the tips we talked about last week, which weren't really from me, they were from people like John Paul II and Pope Benedict and some of their ideas on the rosary, but I'm, I'm so glad to know that it helped you. Julie goes on to say, my birthday is May 13th, Our Lady of Phanaba, so I desire to connect in a deeper way. With this beautiful prayer. Well, happy birthday this week to you, Julie. Julie has an additional question. She says, "This. Say, so I have a non-related question. I'm I'm curious about the history of crossing ourselves in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit." Uh, what, what's the background on this, on this tradition of making the sign of the cross? Julie, check out a podcast. I actually did a podcast about a year, year and a half ago on this very topic on the power of the sign of the cross. I think I called it in this sign, uh, you will conquer or something along those lines. Uh, but you can check that podcast out, but I'll briefly just tell you this. From very early on in Christianity, the Christians would trace the cross and mark their bodies with it. It's a, you know, where we 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 tend to express our faith as human beings in our bodies. So that's why even in the Old Testament, you see people standing for prayer. They stretch out their arms in prayer, raising their hands. Or we read about. Jesus falling to his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane to pray in an intense moment. And then he lays prostrate before the presence of God and, and just just uh, surrendering his life to the Father there in Gethsemane. So we see this modeled in the Old Testament. We see it modeled in Jesus himself. Uh, this idea in, in even the book of Revelation, the saints casting down their golden crowns uh, before the throne of God there. So we with these beautiful images of using our body to express our faith. And that just, that just makes sense. Uh, when I when I want to, in my own human relationships, I want to comfort one of my children. I may give them a hug. Um, I may want to admonish them. So I may look at them sternly. So the way I express myself and my body is expressing something uh, uh, to, to the people I love. And the same is true in our relationship with God. So tracing the cross over our bodies was considered in the early church a powerful expression of faith. That you were marking yourself with the cross, saying, it's this standard that I want to follow, not the the culture, the pagan Roman culture around me and their pagan ways of life. No, I want to follow Jesus Christ crucified. I want the cross to be the standard for my life. But here's the beautiful thing, Julie, is that the sign of the cross was viewed by the early Christians as a source of great strength in times of temptation. When they were discouraged, when they were tempted to sin, tempted to give in, they would make the sign of the cross and they believed that the demons would flee when when the sign of the cross was made. So that's, that's a beautiful tradition you find in the early church, there's Old Testament prophecies uh, that I think are connected to the sign of the cross, God foreshadowing this in Ezekiel. You could check that out in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4, this mark of the Hebrew letter Taw. In your Bible, it may just appear as the X, but it it looked like a cross. And that was the Hebrew letter that was going to be on the mark, uh, a mark, a sign on the foreheads of the faithful people in Jerusalem in a time of great crisis, when Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. This was a mark of the Holy One, in Jerusalem and God was going to protect them. So that's why I think it's a, a, the early Christians would make the sign of the cross as a sign of protection, like, like, like the, the, the Jews in Jerusalem had in Ezekiel chapter nine, a sign of God's protection over them. So make the sign of the cross, Julie. I hope that helps you in your rosary devotion and happy birthday to you. Uh, one other question from Barbara, Barbara from Colorado was asking uh, a question about Pilgrimages I'm going to be leading in 2020 and I, I want to I'm, I'm very excited I, I haven't announced this publicly you're the first people I'm publicly going to tell about this uh, it's not all set up on my website but I can give you the date. So this is a save the date. And if you're interested, you want to contact me. You want to contact me and let me know. Go to my website, edward3.com, and you can send an email to me to make sure you get on the mailing list for a special Holy Land pilgrimage I'm going to do. I've never done a Lenten Holy Land pilgrimage, but I've gotten so much Uh, Feedback on the No Greater Love: A Biblical Walk Through Christ's Passion Program. This last Lent, and so many people have been asking, uh, would you be interested in doing? Could could, would you do a Holy Land pilgrimage during Lent? So I I am I'm going to be able to do this next year. It's going to be March 28th through April 5th. So it's the week before Holy Week. So if you want to really get ready for Holy Week, get ready for those Passion narratives. Uh, Think about uh, joining us for a Holy Land pilgrimage the week before Holy Week. We leave on the 28th of March, and we will return in the morning, early in the morning, uh, stateside, on Palm Sunday. So uh, it's a great way to kind of spiritually get ready to enter into Holy Week, enter into the Triduum, and and really relive the, the the story of Christ's passion that we're going to hear on Palm Sunday and Good Friday uh, by being able to walk in Jesus' footsteps. So it's going to be a, a pilgrimage through Galilee. We'll remember the sites of the joyful mysteries of Christ's life, the luminous mysteries of his public ministry, certainly the glorious mysteries of his resurrection. But we're going to give a special focus for this Lenten pilgrimage on those mysteries of Christ's passion, and we're going to walk in Jesus' footsteps. So uh, just save the date, March 28th to April 5th, if you're interested. Again, I encourage you check out my website because the tri- this trip usually sells out in just a couple weeks. So you want to make sure you're on the mailing list, the email list that we send out about. Okay, so thank you, Barbara. There's a uh, little information about pilgrimages for next year. Um, I want to address the question, though, that we were t- we started this podcast with, and that was the idea, does God really enter into this world and and inspire sacred writers for a lot of people in this secular culture they doubt this they just again they think that sounds like fairy tales so that's just silly or that's just you know this is just you know a, a old way of living we know now in the modern world that you know, there there might be a God, but that God it, is just up there, you know, in in the clouds or some vague power or source, supernatural higher power out there. But he's not he doesn't really enter into this world and do miracles and inspire sacred writers to write the scriptures. I mean, come on, we're, we're much more enlightened in our modern world today. We don't really believe that anymore. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Does God really do that? And I would I would actually just push back on that. And I would say, you know, if you have a what I would call a deistic bias. Uh, Deism is the belief that there is a God, but this God isn't involved in this world. Uh, He exists. He created the world. He might be a nice guy, but he's not really involved in our lives. And he certainly doesn't inspire scriptures and give us the law. And he certainly didn't become man and take on human flesh in Jesus Christ. You know, so there's a a God up there in the universe, but he's kind of like, he's not involved. He's like the spectator God up in the stands, watching us on the field. Uh, He's the clockmaker God. That's another analogy often used that god is like a clockmaker he he created the universe and wound it all up set it in motion and then he just sits back and he watches it all tick uh and but he's not really involved Uh, this was a popular idea that was uh Uh, really promoted by somebody from uh, the late 1500s, early 1600s, named Lord Edward Herbert of Cherbury, this idea of deism, the the belief that there is a God, but he's not involved in this world. I think that's where many people are today. Sadly, I think there's a lot of Catholics that live that way, that they believe in a God, but they don't have a personal relationship with this God. They don't believe this God's personally involved in their lives. Well, I want to just push back on that bias. I just want to ask the question, uh, is, does it make sense to say that if there is a God, He's not involved in this world? Does that make sense? And uh, because I think that's that's why some people doubt the sacredness of Scripture. That's why they doubt. That the Bible's really inspired. They think it's just a bunch of stories. You know, nice. religious traditions. Maybe some nice wisdom you can learn for your life. You know, but we don't really believe this is God working here. That God is speaking to us through these words. Uh, I, I think that's a deistic bias. You know, and I would say I, I don't hold into the. I don't. I don't. I. I. I I'm not convinced of deism. <laughs> uh, and it, to me, it doesn't make sense. This is uh, the idea of. I would call it also the Bette Midler God. By the way, remember that song from the '90s, Bette Midler, saying from a distance. God is watching us. No, no, no. God is not watching from a distance. God is involved in this world. God became one of us. That's the Catholic understanding. But let's just, again, let's just talk about that for a moment. Does it make sense to say that God cannot enter into this world and inspire sacred writers, uh, hear our prayers, perform miracles, know our thoughts, uh, influence events in this world? Does it make sense to say God is just the deistic God, the Bette Midler God, watching from a distance. He's not involved. Does that make sense? The analogy often uses this. Let's say there was a a contractor, a builder. Uh, we'll call we'll call him Bob. Bob the builder, and Bob the builder builds buildings. Does it make any logical sense to say Bob the builder can build his buildings? But he can never walk inside those buildings. He can never get involved in those buildings. He can't turn on light switches and paint walls. And you know, No, no, no. That doesn't make any sense. If Bob the Builder is so big he can build the building, certainly he can walk inside the buildings he built. Now, if we say that about little tiny Bob the Builder, how much more we should say that about the God of the universe? If God is so big that he can create the cosmos, does it make any sense to say he can't step inside that cosmos he just created. <laughs> Does it make any sense to say he can't get involved in this world and, and interact in this world? No. It doesn't make any sense. I don't think we should exclude God from being able to interact in the very universe that he created. If there is a God, he certainly has the ability to interact in this world, to influence events, to hear our prayers, to perform miracles, and yes, to inspire sacred writers of scripture. God can do that. It is illogical, unreasonable to say that God does not have the ability to do that. But I think we have to go a second step. And that is, does it make sense that God would do it? Maybe he has the power, but maybe he just doesn't want to exercise the power. He just wants to sit back and just watch. He doesn't want to be involved. Uh, Does it make sense that he would do that? And I would say there's, there's two arguments that we give here. One is from Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas says, look, there's some truths that we need to know that go beyond what our reason could come to know by itself. You know, like the fact that God exists, uh, uh, that's something that a reason, you know, you can use reason to figure out. But the fact that God exists as a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that's not something that maybe we would have figured out or all the details of the moral life. We would get some things right just by think good, clear thinking that killing is wrong, maybe stealing is wrong, right? But the, the broader picture of the moral life... We we need the light of God's revelation. And if we're made for God, we're made for union with him. Think about this. If God is the infinite God, you know, and we're tiny little finite human beings, our little tiny minds cannot wrap themselves around who God is, what he wants from us, what his plan is for our lives. And if we're made for union with the infinite God, how am I ever going to fully understand him unless he comes and reveals himself to me? He comes and lowers himself to show us who he is and to show us what his plan is. It just makes sense that he would do that. If I mean, think about this. My, I, I'm, my, I was never really great at math. And let's say I, you know, I, I struggled with, you know, advanced algebra and, and calculus and things like that. Right. If my mind can't grasp algebra and cal- and, and, and and calculus that well, uh, how, how much more I'm going to be challenged by trying to understand who God is uh, and what he wants for me. So if I'm made for union with God, it makes sense that that infinite God would come down to us and meet us where we're at in our finitude in time and space and in our own weakness and show us who he is and show us his plan. That's a, that's a part of Aquinas's argument. I'm going to add one more though. If we, we Christians, but we do believe in a God, but we believe our God is love. That's what first John chapter four, verse eight says, God is love and love wants to be near the one it loves. And so if God is the God of love, then it doesn't make any sense that he's going to just sit up at heaven and just sit back and wait for us to figure him out and come up to find him. No, no, no. It, it, love wants to be near the one it loves. That's why when when God created us, he wants to be near us. He wants to be in union with us. And even though we turned away from him in sin, he still seeks us out. He, he, came, he spoke to us through Moses and the Ten Commandments. He spoke to us through the various prophets. And ultimately, he spoke to us through his own son. He himself came down and became man. He took on our humanity. And he did so because he wants to be near us. And he wants to show us in his own example, in Jesus Christ, the greatness we're called to to love like Jesus loves. And he even took on all of our the weight of our sin and our suffering. He went all the way to the cross because he loves us so much so that we could be reunited with him. So the God who is love, if God is not just some vague power out there, but he is the God who is love, it makes sense that love wants to be near the one it loves. And God loves us, that he wants to be near us. He wants to speak to us through his prophets. He wants to speak to us through his word. He wants to come close to us through his son, Jesus Christ. So my friends think of sacred scripture not as just a bunch of stories from a long time ago don't think of it as just a, a nice religious text you know from one of the many great religions of the world here you got the Bible and you got the Quran and you've got the you know, writings from the Hindu tradition other things no 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 think of the Bible as love letters from our heavenly Father the God who loves us loves us so much he speaks to us and, and so I want to encourage you take time for the Scriptures, maybe before you go to Mass on Sunday. Show up early, pull out the Missal and read the Scripture passages, or go online, use Magnificat, whatever you want. Read the Sunday readings ahead of time, or ponder ponder Scripture in your daily prayer. Bring Scripture into your daily life and have the confidence that these aren't just human words. These are God's words in the words of men. Theonoustos, God breathed forth His divine word in the words of men. These words are inspired by god the god who loves us so much he wants to give himself to us even in his sacred scriptures so thank you so much if you have any questions about the bible how catholics interpret the bible uh how we can have confidence in the bible uh or questions on anything else you want to ask me about feel free to send those to me i'll be praying for you i'm off to rome next week i'm I'm leading my rome pilgrimage Uh, next Monday I take off with a a group wonderful group from all over the United States and Canada we're going to be in Rome for nine days walking with the saints in Rome giving people that insider's experience of really encountering the beauty of the history the art and the saints of Rome Uh, so please pray for us and our safe travels but most of all know that I'll be praying for you while we're there Uh, and if you have any questions again reach me info.edwards3 at gmail.com or my website is my name Edward at You can find me there. And you can also reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks so much and God bless.